is deprived of it. And then he begins to realize what it means to have freedom of motion and freedom of choice. Strange as it may seem, a diametrically opposite situation led to the origin of the court of last resort. I learned to value liberty not by having it taken away, but by having such a marvelous demonstration of the advantages of freedom that I began to think what it must mean to be deprived of freedom. In order to understand this somewhat paradoxical situation, it is going to be necessary to touch on a most unusual murder case and give a bit of personal history. The murder case is that of William Marvin Lindley, described in newspapers and magazines as the Red-Headed Killer. The personal history relates to a biographical sketch written by the late Alva Johnston, which ran several installments in the Saturday Evening Post. This biographical sketch was entitled The Case of Earl Stanley Gardner and included some of the spectacular and unorthodox methods which I used in connection with the trial of cases when I was a practicing attorney. I have always claimed that an attorney is not necessarily bound to confine his cross-examination of a hostile witness to questions and answers on the witness stand. If a witness is certain of an identification, he should be absolutely certain of it. He may testify under oath with all the positive sincerity in the world that the defendant is the man he saw running away from the scene of the crime two years ago, but if an attorney can get him to point to one of the assistant prosecutors by making the witness feel that the man at whom he is pointing is actually the defendant in the case— the witness's actions speak louder than words. Of course, courts resent attempts to mislead a witness, so an attorney may well find himself in a position where the procedure, by which he might demonstrate that a witness is mistaken on a matter of identification, may be frowned upon by the court. Therefore, the problem of getting a witness to belie his words by actions without violating the ethics of the profession or the rules of court, is, at times, a rather tricky business. During the days when I first engaged in the practice of law, legal ethics were not as sharply defined nor as rigidly enforced as they are now, and with the singular optimism of youth, I was more confident of my own interpretation of what was proper. I mention these matters because the early portion of my legal career during which I was trying to build up a law practice in a city where I was virtually without friends or friendly contacts, was punctuated with spectacular incidents which made colorful copy for a biographer. As I expressed it at the time in a letter to my father, I have built up a law practice in which I am dealing with large numbers of clients of all classes, except the upper and middle class. Eventually, my courtroom tactics attracted sufficient attention so that my practice became confined exclusively to clients of the upper and middle class. But Alva Johnston found the earlier chapters of my legal escapades much more interesting and therefore emphasized them in considerable detail. Johnston also emphasized a quixotic streak which has always been part of my nature, to champion the cause of the underdog particularly if he is without friends, without money, and his cause seems to be utterly hopeless.
By the time Johnston had finished stringing colorful incidents into his biographical sketch, his audience might well have received the impression that I made a habit of entering the lists on behalf of penniless defendants who were in hopeless predicaments, and by legal ledger domain could cause the doors of prison to swing wide open. The result was that just about every hopeless case in the United States was dumped in my lap in a deluge of fan mail. Among these cases was that of William Marvin Lindley. This case was sent to me by Al Matthews, Jr., a Los Angeles attorney at law, who has since become affiliated with the Public Defender's Office, but who, at that time, was a freelance. He had interested himself on behalf of Lindley after Lindley's conviction. Lindley was, at the time, in the condemned row at San Quentin, awaiting execution. He had been convicted of a brutal sex murder. The evidence...